Hey guys, welcome back to The Crew, where each week Essence and I discuss some burning topic and engage in some healthy debate and discussion. As always, we want you guys to reach out and join the conversation, so feel free to email us at thecommonroomcouch at gmail.com if we misspeak, misquote, or misunderstand a topic. Additionally, if you guys are an expert or really enjoy something, you can share your fun facts and opinions, and in future segments, we will share those with the rest of our listeners. Our weekly wrap, which we're recording this the next day so essence what happened that you want to share i'm not gonna lie a lot hasn't happened um but i'm doing this like career essentials class and i thought that like 20 people would sign up for this class teaching the career essentials class i feel like that's important to note okay yes and i thought there was me like a couple of resumes and cover letters and teaching people how to apply to jobs and now i have like a hundred people signed up for the class and it ranges from people that have never written a resume to like people who think they're like career gods Mm. and it's like this balancing act of like trying not to be too harsh to crush people's dreams but also telling people that are way too into themselves that like this resume is not good so it's been a time (laughs) I'm trying to think nothing really has happened for me either. Oh, actually, I began watching. I mean, not I didn't watch them both last night, but I started watching the Star Wars franchise. I had Ooh. seen them when I was really young, like six. And my six-year-old brain, I guess I had watched all by the first three. I mean, like the first three released, so like four through six. But my head combined them all into like different movies. Like I thought there's supposed to be a desert in the second movie. Like I'm so confused. <laughs> but so it's been fun because even though the movies have been out for so long, I know a lot of the plot twists. I actually was surprised because something I thought happened in the third movie happened in the second movie. And I was like, what? (laughs) There's a whole other movie after this? And so it's been fun. All right. So into this week's questions, I already mentioned that we're going to be talking about, I'm going to be asking Essence about Georgia and she's going to be asking me about the Grammys. And so my question for this week is what happened with Georgia in the last election cycle? Another question I have is when we started to see the results come in and, you know, Stacey Abrams' name was all of a sudden blowing up in the news. I was wondering how we had really not heard of this woman before. And now all of a sudden she's like a national treasure. She is a national treasure, not like a national treasure. (laughs) And then another question, were there other women of color involved? I know Stacey Abrams is the name being thrown around, but I'm sure she had help from other individuals to do something this massive. And what does the future look like both for Georgia and the U.S.? Where are we going from here after this election? Yeah, just the small questions, you know. Just to give some context, um, my brother goes to school in Atlanta and I went up there for his birthday in October and everywhere in Atlanta was just Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, John Ossoff, Raphael Warnock being in Atlanta and seeing that. Of course, we didn't go much further out of it. So in my mind, I was like, well, even though Atlanta is this way, the rest of the state isn't going to be like this. Okay. So first, before we get into like huge changes of the party and electoral politics, I think it's first important to understand what's happening in Georgia right now. And it's a runoff, which basically just means a rematch. And I actually learned a lot about 
the reason and history behind runoffs while doing the research for this episode. And there's a lot of research out there that says the runoff was actually created by white segregationists in the 60s to help dilute elections. So if they had, if when black politicians started to run, there would be a lot of people running and dilute, like basically add more candidates. So it would be harder for a person to get the majority. Mm. And so they created the system or law that says you have to get the majority of the voters to say one candidate for them to actually win. And so that's essentially why there's a runoff, because none of the candidates reach 50%, which almost in every state, no candidate gets more than 50% of the vote unless they're very well liked. Mm. And so that's kind of the history behind the runoff and why we're having these two historic Georgia runoff elections. And normally, like runoff elections are extremely boring because the Republican Party always wins them because they were designed for the Republican Party to win them uh, mm-hmm. because it's expected that people don't come out for runoff elections. But that's not the case here. So we're seeing that over 3 million people have already cast their vote on January 2nd, and they have until the end of the week to early vote. Um, and they'll be accepting mail-ins until the end. By the end of the voting period, maybe like there'll be millions of people voting when normally that's not the case at all. I feel like there's incentive for both parties to come out and vote here. So is it just the double incentive or, I mean, just watching the news, a story that is being told. So I don't know how much truth is actually to it, but because Trump said the votes are rigged, like that's why it's actually discouraged a lot of conservative voters for coming back out because he filed so many lawsuits against the state and they kept losing that it was actually really detrimental to his voting base to like have them continuously be knocked down. Do you think this is kind of a big flip where it is going to be more democratic voters or that it's just going to kind of be very equal again? Yeah, so like that's kind of what everyone is trying to figure out. Who is a surge of 3 million people? Is it young, progressive people who didn't really see a point of voting the first time, but maybe they're voting this time? So estimating right now, there's like 100,000 people who did not vote the first time, but are coming out to vote this time. And so obviously we don't know which way they voted. But in terms of mail-in ballots, if we look at the last election, we see that it's mostly Democratic voters who are using the mail-in process over Republican voters. I think in some places it was almost two to one Biden mail-in versus Trump mail-in. So if we apply that same rule, we may be seeing the same thing here. But again, it's a game that everyone is trying to estimate who's doing better voter outreach. Um, But yes, Mm. there's a lot of distrust in mail-in voting because Trump has kind of advocated that it was not a safe way to vote for a long time. And Kelly Loeffler is a direct supporter of Donald Trump and often (laughs) agrees with most of his opinions on things. Um, So you're seeing a lot of different efforts to try to target voters to come out. So I think the $2,000 checks have been one of those things that both candidates have supported because universal basic income is pulling very well right now. And it's really interesting to see Mitch McConnell not support that, but Trump and the two Republican and Democratic candidates in Georgia supporting a policy like this. Sorry, that you may be discussing this later, but I feel like there's been a ton of donations flooding into Georgia. And what I remember reading is that donations don't really help that much like money actually in the grand scheme of things is that correct or was i just it's more that because each candidate is spending so much money like there's arguments that it just cancels each other out but like if you don't do those things it's like game theory like econ major you would understand this but like they eventually cancel each other out so no one is really benefiting from it like if you're seeing an attack ad about the other candidate all the time none of them are really reaching or hitting home Yeah, but you had mentioned, so there's been a lot of, there's just been more of everything in this runoff compared to every other runoff, really. And part of that is, I think, one, because the future of the Senate is kind of at hand here. Georgia, there was not a Senate sweep as 
was predicted for a lot of Democrats in the election. If they win both of these seats, they will control the Senate because Kamala Harris can break any tie. Mm -hmm. And I think that is driving voter participation. And I think the opposite effect, right? If they end up winning, Mitch McConnell controls the Senate still and has the power to block any legislative agenda he wants, any judicial um, nominees, any cabinet appointees, things like that are all in Mitch McConnell's hands. So there's a lot of pressure for both parties to do well in this runoff. This is, I mean, and maybe we're going to get into this too, something that I just wonder from the original election, moving into the second one, besides that influx of voters that you were talking about who didn't vote the first time, does it make sense that it's going to change? Like, how come Biden won, but Ossoff didn't? Yeah, so I think one, like the plurality thing you're talking about makes a difference. Like if more people run, it diverts the vote. Um, But I think in most states, that doesn't actually matter because we have majority wins, which I'm not saying that's a good system or not, but that's just the case. And the whole point of a runoff is to actually stop that so that if it doesn't work the first time, it'll work the second time. Mm -hmm. So if there's only Loeffler and another candidate, like she probably will, or the other person probably will get that 50% and they'll win. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the point of that. And I I also think it's very different also because she was in office and that does make a difference in terms of people who vote for you again. So even, even though she wasn't elected, even though she wasn't elected, she served for a year. She's a very prominent businesswoman. It's just, she has a name (laughs) and she's tied herself to great hair and great hair. Yes. But in terms of like Biden versus Senate, I think it's difficult. This just electoral politics are not as easy to predict in the post-Trump era. I think there's a lot of cognitive work that has to happen when voting for Trump, but maybe voting for your senator that's also Republican because Mm -hmm. they could stand for very different things. I didn't know, was it more that John Ossoff was unknown and so people were voting for Joe Biden and then like skipping the Senate, like just not voting for him? Sorry, so let's go back. We were kind of talking about what's going on in Georgia right now, right? Yeah, I think that's also just a good way to kind of wrap it up as well. Yeah, so you kind of mentioned before in your story that when you visited your brother, like Georgia looks very different than Georgia 10 years ago. And I think that's also part of why Georgia is up in the air this year when compared to four years ago. I had mentioned before, 3 million people have already voted in this election and 100,000 people who had never voted in the last election are now voting. And it's way higher runoff results. And that may be it for a couple of reasons. One, because just Georgia has had a huge population surge in the last few years. They're up to 10 million people compared to their almost 8 million in 2000, which was close to the last runoff election. And the foreign-born population now exceeds 10% of the population, which I'm not saying that any of these voting blocks vote one way or the other, but it does increase probably voter turnout. And it's mm-hmm. really, I think, why Georgia has been a state that's been looked at from both parties, because there's a lot of potential for them to swing either way. And just in 2004, the percentage of white voters was about 70%, and it's now been down to 60%. And you're seeing that there's huge voting blocks that are now emerging in Georgia. The Black vote is super strong in places not just in Atlanta, but also Atlanta suburbs now, which is a new phenomenon that was not the case. Oh, sorry, you're going to say something. Oh, no. I just also, I had kind of an anecdote, I guess, but maybe also a direct question. Part of the question being, I can't remember exactly what percentage of the Georgia population Atlanta comprises. It's like above 50. Mm -hmm. The reason I was saying that is I think 
what I didn't realize when I was going there was how large the Atlanta population was. When I was in Atlanta, I was driving and I was thinking, wow, there's so many liberal people here. When the state turns red, they're going to be so confused because I don't think I saw a single Trump lawn thing, sticker on the back of a car, like, but there would be four Biden-Harris signs in a front yard. And I think I didn't realize how big Atlanta was. And that kind of played a big role in me realizing that why this has such a big effect. I mean, I think that's the case for a lot of people. Like, we're going to get into Stacey Abrams soon, but she, a lot of the reason I think that she's receiving a lot of positive news from this is because when she ran for governor, she had realized a lot of these demographic changes and some like shifting populations into the suburbs, especially the Black vote, which in the South, does come out strong if there's a candidate there. And I, she was realizing a lot of these like changes in demographics and seized on that to run for governor and lost by like 50,000 votes in this super close election against a governor that has been in there for a while. I think that's why she's getting a lot of credit. And I think that after this election, no matter the results, people are going to look at Georgia with new electoral strategies because there's a lot of potential there. Another question that I did have actually pertaining specifically about Stacey Abrams and the runoff. Obviously, the disenfranchisement of Black voters is like a major problem in the South. And a lot of what she did was enfranchising voters, especially Black voters. How much do you think perhaps like the Black population who still chose not to vote, seeing that her work made such a difference and that their vote does matter, maybe came out to this runoff election because she was getting so much press? You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm oh, my vote really does matter in this state, I can come out and make a change that like, I didn't think I was actually going to be able to make in the first. Yeah. I mean, I think that's hard to predict. I think for a couple of reasons. One, I think that Stacey Abrams is getting a lot of positive press for the most part. I do think, though, that there are some like people, especially liberals, that may not be giving her as much credit and press for the things that she did do. I think I guess what I'm trying to say, I I don't know how I want to say this, but I guess it's very hard to predict how, like, identity politics and how people perceive this in terms of that equaling if they'll vote or not. Yeah, I guess, like, I meant more the media presentation of what happened. If you're just watching MSNBC, CNN as a Black voter in Georgia who maybe still even felt disenfranchised before the election, was just seeing this positive press over and over again, would have been encouraged by seeing. Because, I mean, me, who was watching tons of MSNBC, the amount of interviews with, like, various Black women they had just at the polls, who were saying, like, Black women saved this election. And, like, you can't deny it with, like, the numbers. And so saw that and then said, like, oh, I can make a difference. And then there's a surge of 100,000 voters. I don't know. I mean, I understand what you're saying now. Yeah, I, I, I think where I'll go with that is... I think realizing that you're a powerful voting block is important. And I think Black women in 2016 realized this because you saw the stats of when they did come out to vote. And I think realizing that you're a powerful voting block is important and is an important way to, one, increase voter participation, especially if you're part of a group that faces huge disenfranchisement. But also, educated white women were important for this Georgia election as well. And them realizing that they have a significant voice in the future of whatever Georgia elections look like, I think is extremely important in a way that gets new voices into elections, right? Because I think we spend so much time on like trying to flip Trump voters or trying to get white Protestants to vote a certain way because they're an important voting block. And once that's recognized that other groups can 
be just as important, I think electoral parties really start catering more towards the needs of those groups. That makes a lot of sense. And so I guess kind of expanding from that kind of like aside we just had, were there, and you kind of alluded to it about what Stacey Abrams did. So like, what specifically did she do? And then were there other women involved either had a different kind of like program they were doing or like working directly with her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think her story is extremely interesting. And I think she has a few TED talks and things like that about like why she did this crazy historic governor run a couple of years ago. So I mentioned before that she had realized this huge demographic shift in Georgia's population. And she decided to run because no one else was really talking about that or even realized that. And so she ends up losing by a small margin. And her response to that was to start a bunch of uh, this network of nonprofit organizations. And so some of them are like the New Georgia Project, which is the voter registration project that most people are talking about right now, where they said that she's responsible for registering about 800,000 new voters for this election. And Verify Action, which you had mentioned earlier, was that is her group that's responsible for finding purged voters and allowing them to be re-enfranchised again. And so there's a bunch of them. There's a super PAC that she's involved in starting, and it's dozens of organizations that all help in some way with making democracy more equitable and fair, especially for dis- disenfranchised communities, so a lot of poor and brown communities. And so I think for that, she's realizing the strength of grassroots organizing, which is where I think a lot of people deserve the credit in that project. And she even says that in her interviews of you can't have grassroots activism with just having like a flashy name and losing a governor's election. Like she understands that people power matters. And so she seized on that and found a bunch of black activists that have been working on the ground and they lead her projects. I should really have memorized the name, but one of the candidates that's running actually is was the executive director of one of her organizations. I think it's I think it's a uh, Reverend Warnick. Yeah. So like the power of these organizations is how I think new people are able to run because they have clout within the community and then they're able to launch political platforms off of that. That makes a lot of sense. And so, I mean, I guess you kind of covered this. Were there other significant women? Do we like know their names? I just kind of want to give them recognition if you happen to see names. Yeah. So I was looking, but I didn't really see. I knew I had like a couple lists, but we can always uh, add that into the um, episode description just because I I don't want to attribute the success of like many women of color to just Stacey mm-hmm. Abrams, if, if we know their names. I'm not sure. And that's part of you know, why it was my question. Yeah. But- and I think, I think also like part of just adding to that, I think part of this effort is realizing that automatic voter registration works. <laughs> and it's, it's really helpful for trying to get people like there's a bunch of electoral laws in the books to purposely make election and voting really confusing. And I think this election has showed that like mailing out ballots to people works. Not making some false reason for people to go to the polls and just making it available to everyone, that works and it increases voter turnout significantly. This is the most voted in election, I believe, ever. So I think that's also part of what's at play here, along with grassroots organizing. So now we'll move on to the second half with a more like pop culture-esque version of our podcast. Awesome. So my question is what's happening with the Grammys and are you happy about the selections for this year? And I, my kind of a motivation behind this question is one, I know nothing about any musical or movie 
award ranking system at all. But I always do hear a lot of things about how there's not a lot of equity in who's chosen for both like Emmys and Grammys and things like that. And I think there was also a lot of excitement that there was new people that were nominated this year that wouldn't have been nominated like 10 years ago. So I guess I'm just wondering more of your thoughts about the nominations and kind of the history of the Grammys and where do you see the future of the Grammys and awards generally? So I think just to preface this conversation, to some degree, this conversation will be pretty, parts of this conversation will be pretty biased just because like my own music tastes are obviously going to influence how I see awards. But I think it's really important to specify to those who don't necessarily know what the Grammy process is, is you're kind of playing a different sort of popularity contest in the Grammy nominations. And so first, I kind of want to talk about the awards process. So your favorite songwriter, singer, they submit their body of work that they want considered for a Grammy. From there, there's the Academy. And the Academy isn't just comprised of anyone. It's people that are heavily involved in the music industry. From there, everyone in the Academy votes. They have a list of what they say is about, I think it's 20 nominations. But from there, then there are subcommittees for, I, I think there's one for the four major awards, which if you don't know what the four major awards, it's album of the year, record of the year, song of the year. And I, I don't know if it's artist of the year or best new artist. I might have to look again. I think that one might have like whoever wins the big four is like one category. And then because there's what's televised and then there are a bunch more awards for like smaller and more specific types of music. So then those subcommittees break off and they listen to everything in the top 20 nominations and they come to a list of about five to eight. I think recently it was increased to eight. That might be this year or it might be last year. And then in the past it was five. From those five, they determine the nominations. And I was trying to research because I was actually not finding a like very specific answer. I think like the members of the Academy vote again from those final five, but uh, like that was what I saw one place and then another place it just like didn't give me an answer after the like last 20. So if, if you know you're a listener, um, write in and we can update in the future. But so what I think is important to notice there is this isn't you listening to your favorite artist and how they're doing on the Billboard Top 100, that kind of popularity contest. It's not who has played on the radio the most or who spent the most weeks at number one on Spotify or something. It's these people in a room listening and determining what they think, quotes, was the most excellent music of the year. And so from there, it's already a pretty, like, they say it's unbiased, but, like, obviously everyone has, like, music preference biases. While, like, Megan The Stallion may have been the most popular artist, if you just look at, I'm just using that as an example, I'm not actually sure who the most popular was this year. That doesn't mean that the committee of however many people at the Grammys is going to sit down and decide that she was the most popular artist if that makes sense, because they're not looking at those types of stats necessarily to determine it. Not that they don't maybe look at it at all. It's not like the concluding factor. That's the process. And I think that's important to notice because, and this is why I said it's kind of biased. I didn't listen to everything that was nominated for album of the year. So like, I may be super happy that Taylor Swift's Folklore was nominated. And I may think that she deserves to win because Folklore was an incredible album, but I didn't know Coldplay released an album. So how can I necessarily say that like Coldplay deserves to lose compared to Taylor Swift? I don't necessarily think that Coldplay should win Best Album if I didn't even know they released an album. That's, again, another personal opinion. I feel like had I maybe heard about it more, at least I would have known. You know what I mean? Like, at least I knew that The Weeknd had released an album this year, and he wasn't even nominated, and people were talking about how he was going to sweep the big four. So to me, that's kind of when we get into, like, the controversies, because The Weeknd's Grammy snubs were a big controversy this year. So in general, if you look up the controversies of, like, the Grammys... 
it's going to say the Grammys are outdated. Um, they failed to showcase a more diverse pool of musicians. One thing that I do think is really interesting, and I'm not sure how much truth there is to this. I am not afraid to admit that I follow some Taylor Swift fan pages on Instagram. She doesn't post very often. And so after Folklore, there was a lot of like Grammy speculation. And I was actually learning a lot about the process and how it works. And one thing that they were saying, they were arguing, is Taylor Swift going to submit Folklore which is listed typically as like alternative, as an alternative album, or is she going to list it as pop? And I guess that's kind of what we're talking about almost with the Georgia election because it splits the vote. People who are pop specialists in the music industry are more likely to vote for a pop album than they are for hip hop R&B. And so people were saying, I guess Fiona Apple released a really great alternative record. Like it wouldn't make sense for her to do that because she won't win because Fiona Apple's record was so great. Well, if she gives it to pop, it might split the pop vote and someone else is going to win. And so I'm not sure how much that actually matters. Of course, this is like speculation on fan pages of people who like followed her for a lot of years. But I think it is something interesting to think about if you are thinking about like maybe why someone didn't win that year. Were there a lot of like pop people who split the vote? And that's why someone who submitted it didn't win and like someone whose album you hadn't heard of did. From there, it was always established as a secret voting system. So you don't know who voted for who. And that was originally intended to prevent lobbying. But the part of the issue then is that the lack of transparency like the weekend called for transparency in the process when he was snubbed, which makes sense because like if no one knows like who was even in the top 20, part of the accusation is that it's come out from Deborah Duggan, I think is how I'm assuming how you pronounce her last name. She was a former CEO of the Academy who recently came out with, I don't want to say an expose because she's like suing them, but has talked a lot about the sexism, the racism in the industry, how they were tampering with the nominations. Basically what she was saying is that, and this is why I said it's a different of popularity contest depending on who in the subcommittees that were determining from the top 20 that had been voted on the five to eight they were switching it like taking people who weren't even necessarily in the top 20 nominations and putting them in the final five because they're very close to the music industry again that's what she's saying the other like interim ceo completely denies that mm -hmm. but so she said i think it happened to over 30 artists so i mean she's making like a very large claim which i wouldn't be surprised if that's true like if someone came out with definitive proof i wouldn't have been surprised but i just want to make sure that i clarify that that is what there are two perspectives of what's being said a couple of things that deborah duggan has claimed is the boys club mentality of all the executives and people who comprise the academy for example the only woman to win an award during the 2018 telecast was Alessia Cara for Best New Artist. Like, the only woman who won an award in the entire show. Yeah. And you can kind of see why there's a lot of critique going on. I think the same year, Lord was the only woman nominated for Album of the Year, and she wasn't even invited to perform at the Grammys. So again, yeah. And just a couple other facts. So between 2013 and 2018, only 9.3% of the nominees for Record of the Year Album of the Year, Song of the Year, Best New Artist, and Producer were women, which was um, done by a something called the Annenberg Inclusion Initiative. So where they went back and analyzed. I do wonder how different that would be if they took out producer, because I don't know how many women producers there are, which I mean, isn't to say it's a good thing. I just wonder if the number would go up if that was excluded. Another big controversy, the former CEO before Deborah, when they were asked about why like so few women were nominated or won, he said that women should step up if they want to win Grammys. And so, <laughs> all right, 
<laughs> Again, just to put everything into context of this is in specifically, um, which will be attached below the Harper's Bazaar commentary on Deborah Duggan and what she was suing for. Sorry if that was my dog in the background. He's a needy boy um, and is sitting by me. Is there anything you want to ask? I'm sorry. I'm kind of just like talking. Um, I feel like I guess we've talked about gender parity, but maybe some race parity type things and some controversies there. Yeah. So I had that listed a little bit later because I had like a specific kind of look into the weekend, but just to like look forward. And I was kind of talking about the influencing of the awards and the voting process being tainted. And artists of color who have like previously made comments on this in the past and I don't think have gotten as much like I didn't even know they had made these claims and I don't know if that's because of social media now or like people being much more aware especially post like Black Lives Matter movement in the summer and we're like kind of expecting to see more artists of color mentioned Beyonce has spoken out against it Kanye Mariah Carey Frank Ocean have all kind of mentioned that in the past I think actually one of the ones that I found most interesting is that Beyonce's Lemonade only got nominated an Urban Contemporary album that year, which again is one of those ones I was talking about earlier, a small award that like you don't necessarily see get televised even. And one reason, and this was listed on that um, website, but a reason that was surprising was all 12 tracks had made the Billboard Top 100, Mm -hmm. which broke the record of Taylor Swift's previous record of 11. Again, and this is why I mentioned the top, the voting process is different. So they're not necessarily going to Billboard and saying, well, like, this happened on Billboard, so they win. Mm-hmm. That would be more of like a Billboard Music Award kind of thing. Yeah. And I guess uh, it's a kind of another question I have is like, it kind of seems like an elitist institution in some ways. Yes. I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess I wonder how music that's deemed not, I guess I don't want to say like not as white, but not meant for t- particular white audiences. How is that faring in the Grammys? Like rap music, for example, is not necessarily, or Lemonade, I think is a great example that it's not necessarily meant for white audiences. Like it's a lot to do with black empowerment. And how is music like that doing in the Grammys? Does it ever get nominated? Does it win anything? I think it does get nominated. The thing that's interesting is it's not necessarily for the big four. And I think that's kind of the way, the Grammys way of saying like, oh, it gets nominated without like, Mm -hmm. Being able to say it gets nominated without actually giving it to the ones that people really care about. Even the ones that people watch for. Like, I don't know if I've ever watched the Grammys and seen the Urban Contemporary Award. And that's why I think the secrecy is really hurtful. Because who's voting? Like, we don't really necessarily know who comprises the Academy because it's supposed to be blind voting so that people can't go and bug that person and say, vote for me. Which makes sense that you can't have a bunch of lobbying for this person. But it also then, again, hurts. I think there were a couple stats on how many, how much was white, but I feel like I would have written it down if I had seen that. So I'm a little bit, I don't quite remember. I think I was trying to write down as many facts as I could if they were given, and I don't have a fact for that in my notes. Maybe if someone in the listenership knows, they can update us. But I do think it's really interesting because have you, do you know about Drake's speech that he gave that he ended up getting cut off during? No. He won, and this was, I can't remember the name of the album, actually. And this is, you know, the one that God's Plan had come out on. You know what I'm talking about? It was like summer of 2018, I think. It blew up. He didn't get, I don't remember the nominations, but the only thing he won, I think, was for Best Rap Song, even though he dominated the radio all summer. And during his speech, he said something along the lines of, this Grammy doesn't matter, mostly speaking to, like, fellow Black artists, saying that, like, 
It's a trophy determined by other people. I think he specifically calls out like Travis Scott and a couple other artists who he like knows really well. If you have people spending their money that they like worked all year for waiting out in the snow and rain to come see you and hear your music like you've already won you don't need this Mm -hmm. and normally a speech is like a certain amount of time and he kind of paused and like turns back to like the people standing on the stage with him and the grammy cuts to commercial and i mean i actually didn't watch the follow-up interview about what he said about being cut off but the grammys responded and said they thought he was done like he that was the end of his speech because he paused Mm -hmm. for so long to like look back at people while people were clapping with that statement yeah. Again, it's going to be another he said, she said, because that's what the <laughs> Grammys are going to say. But obviously, mm-hmm. the way it looks that he's trashed <laughs> the Grammys while giving his Grammy acceptance speech. And I guess he already had a rocky relationship with them. And I think this year there was some ups and downs. Like there were a lot of more women than normal. Like I think Billie Eilish swept a lot of categories. Megan Thee Stallion did. Taylor Swift did. Like I'm glad women in general were getting nominated. But I think I made a list of people who had been snubbed. Hold on. I think being snubbed is like also, of course, if you're an artist and you pour your heart and soul into a work and it doesn't get like nominated, you're going to feel, quote, snubbed. But this is like in general what the news and media is saying. So I don't want people to think like this is my personal idea of who's being snubbed. I haven't listened to some of these <clears throat> albums, but um, The Weeknd, Kalani, Frank Ocean, Halsey and BTS were considered people and groups who were snubbed. Mm-hmm. Actually, The Weeknd is someone who I personally noticed because basically everyone was saying The Weeknd's going to sweep it. And I remember going online and looking up Grammy nomination predictions. He basically was expected to win 17 to 1. And this is like everyone, no one had even been nominated yet. So this list went on for like 100 people of people who could potentially be nominated. He had like, I think the next closest person was 34 to 1 and it might have been Taylor Swift. So for him to not even be nominated for any category is really concerning to specify like the weekend controversy to people what was said was that the super bowl and the grammys are within a week of each other that he had been asked to perform at the super bowl and the grammys the grammys was upset that he like wanted to perform at both so close to each other i guess they thought like it might diminish his performance at the grammys if he had already performed at the super bowl or like vice versa or something finally it was determined that he was going to do both and so it was assumed proposed that the grammys purposely snubbed him in the nominations because of this like controversy mm-hmm. again people from the grammys have said that's <laughs> not the case that they listen to every album and try to find excellence I think that is something that we kind of have to keep in mind. This like secretive process is the reason that there's so much speculation. And I think it would be a lot easier to dismiss it if it hadn't been for the Black Lives Matter movement. Like it's not the first time this is ever coming up. It's not like 2020 all of a sudden people are like, hey, Grammys, why haven't you had more like black people nominated? <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's not the first time. And I think that's what really is when you realize that there's internalized racism in the process in some capacity, but we have no idea to what capacity because we don't know who's voting and what the top 20 nominations were in the first place. Like, did enough people not like The weekend that he didn't even make the top 20? We don't know. Right. So I guess it sounds like what you're saying is the secretive process could be the cause of a lot of this. And I guess I'm wondering... Do you see value in having a, an award program like the Grammys? Or how do you see this going forward at all? I think Drake and what he said is completely correct in the fact that, like, if you're an artist and someone is, and this is, I think, another part that I missed of his quote if people have memorized all the lyrics to your songs and are screaming them back at you while you're on stage, does that mean more? Or does this, like, trophy from this institution mean more? And I think 
that's a personal choice, right? Like you have people singing, but like you want the Grammy and that's completely valid. Based on the way this is going, I would not be surprised if people stop caring about the Grammys or basically chalk it up to like, you won a Grammy, but it means nothing. Mm -hmm. But it also depends because we already have all these awards, right? That are like a people's choice award or like Billboard has awards. The AMAs, wait, those are American Music Awards, right? Yeah. We have so many other types of awards where a lot of the people vote. Does the Billboard Music Award or does the Apple Music Awards mean more than the Grammys at that point? Right. I also don't know because we don't know who comprises the Academy necessarily. So like as the music industry grows and develops, is the Academy eventually going to become a more diverse place naturally, even though we don't know who goes there? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like if we have more producers of color who end up becoming part of the Academy, is that going to end up changing who gets nominated anyway if it's already kind of biased in there because their bias is not going to be represented? Mm-hmm. I mean, it almost just seems like every institution founded on non-transparent like processes normally does not eventually breed diversity until it needs to and or like until a major institutional change happens. And I, I'm not my guess is that the Grammys is no different than that. I do think we're seeing like a lot more women, which is good. Um, but POC representation still relatively low, at least like not enough to make up. Oh, maybe we'll go out on this fun fact. <laughs> I think I told I told Essence this. And I'm not sure is um exactly how far this fact goes back. So following Kendrick Lamar's loss to Taylor Swift in 2016, John Villanova of Lehigh University published the fact that 17 non-white artists had been nominated for Album of the Year. And only in 2008 did Herbie Hancock win. But it was only for a collection of covers <laughs> by white folk artist Jody Mitchell. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, that's really all you can say. You can just say Wow. And I think you're right. I think that's really the trend is the Grammys aren't paid as much attention as they used to be. And there's so many award shows now that are so much more accessible. And I think something I found really interesting is Apple Music did their own awards this year. They only did four. Breakthrough Artist of the Year was Megan Thee Stallion. And so basically what they did was they had four awards and each day was a specific award and they released a one hour interview with that artist about their award. And so songwriter was Taylor Swift for Folklore and Evermore. And then it was Roddy Rich. Top song of the year was The Box. Album of the year was Please Excuse Me for Being Antisocial. Roddy Rich again. And so I, I'm not sure if they just did one interview for him or two. I only listened to half of Taylor Swift's. But I also thought that was really interesting since they are a streaming platform and they have access to their own data. And they didn't have a lot of like random convoluted ones. It was kind of just like songwriter, breakout artist, song, album. And then they actually gave each of those artists an hour long interview to talk about their lives and their art. And I think that was something that I valued more than I value watching one minute speech to thank people. Yeah. All right. That's all for this episode, you guys. We hope you enjoyed and learned something new. And keep your eyes open for next week's episode, The Kardashians and the Middle Class. If you'd like to support us in our podcast, you can check out the description below. You'll find not only ways to support us, but also the resources Essence and I use for today's topics and some additional ones if you're interested. See you in the crew.